So, Mark. Yeah, huh? I think we need to talk about twin films. Like all the Mary-Kate and Ashley movies? I mean, yes. There's, of course, the one where they become astronauts. They go to New York. They become soccer players. And I think that one, they also pretend to be each other for date purposes. I think there's one where there's some sleuthing happening. There's definitely a karate one. I've literally seen none of these. I think I've seen two of them. I've seen the soccer one. I think I've seen the karate one. Billboard Dad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I allowed to talk before I'm introduced? (laughs) Yes. Oh, okay. No, because I was going to talk about... Hi, I'm Claire. I'm here this week. But I was going to talk about the one where they are in witness protection, and they go to... This is the only one I've seen, and they go to Australia, and they meet these hot boys. Oh, wait, yes! Whose uncle owns the amusement park, so they get to go... And that was, like, the epitome of romance for me as a child. Like An Australian theme park? Yeah, Australian theme park hot surfer boys, and there's, like, no lines. And there's quite a bit of surfing in the film as well, which is also a staple of romance. You, of course, are a big surfer. I, (laughs) you know me, just love the waves and such. You, of course, can only hang nine because you're missing one of your big toes. Right. I don't know. This is an interesting little tangent that we're going on. But, yes, indeed, I'm missing one of my big toes. I think people deserve to know. Yeah, the secret of my toes. That I'm missing one? It was infected by bees, actually. (laughs) They crawled in underneath your toenail and then ate the toe off. Guys, the movie is actually called Billboard Dad. What is is Billboard Dad? What movie is this? It's a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie where their dad is single and they rent a billboard to find him love. And I thought I had just made up the name because that's all I remembered. Is that just like worse Sleepless in Seattle? But, like, with Mary-Kate and Ashley. Kind of sounds like it. There's one where they go to a ranch, too. And they, like, ride horses. Those are the only... I've only seen, like, two. I'm remembering more and more as I think about it. Worth noting, none of this is what I was talking about. Oh, you were talking about the parent trap. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Another classic twin movie. So, twin film refers to when two different studios produce roughly the same movie at roughly the same time. And usually it's because similar scripts are being shopped around and get adopted and developed on a similar pace. Sometimes it's because of like a big anniversary of event, like how there are two Columbus movies in 1992 around the 500th anniversary of Columbus's voyage. But sometimes you just get weird stuff like Armageddon and Deep Impact or Volcano and Dante's Peak. Is this what happened with Bugs Life and Ants? Or is Ants just a ripoff? So that is a very controversial question. DreamWorks insists that it's a twin film phenomenon. Some Pixar nerds argue that DreamWorks under the leadership of Jeffrey Katzenberg, who left Disney under unpleasant circumstances, was consistently trying to undercut Pixar, which is how you get Bugs Life, Ants, Finding Nemo, Shark Tale, Madagascar, The Wild. You know when you're trying to undercut someone, you're supposed to actually do a good job. This is the key. (laughs) Like showing someone up requires doing a better job than them, not making the ants to Bugs Life or the wild to Madagascar, which is the most egregious of the ones you just listed. What's funny is that because Madagascar came out earlier, the wild pretty much got buried by Disney. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, twin movie situations is behind the only Pixar movie to ever be announced that wasn't released, which was a movie called Newt that had basically the same plot as Rio. Say nude? Newt. Oh, okay. Thank you. 
I'm already thinking of our, our the films that we're going to be discussing. Today. Yeah, we're going to be digging into those. Yeah. I find it interesting how many are completely random, though. Like, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah. That's What's wild about pairing. those is how similar they are. How in the one there is white action hero, black president, and another one there's black action hero, white president. Are there any coming out this year that could be considered twin films or that came out in the last year? I mean, of course, the most recent example was the two Fire Festival documentaries mm-hmm. that came out in the same week. Right. Last year, we also had a trio of skateboarding movies. We had Skate Kitchen, Mid-90s, and then the documentary Minding the Gap. These are the first I've ever heard of those titles. I've never heard of any of those movies before. Minding the Gap is very good. I have not seen the other two. I heard Mid-90s was pretty boring. We, of course, are in the midst of the Abominable Snow Monster boom. We had Smallfoot last fall. We have Abominable coming out later this year. Don't forget we're in the midst of a dog apostrophe S universe. Right. Of course, we started with, what was the first one? A dog's purpose. Right. A dog's purpose. The movie that made headlines when it was coming out because there were multiple stories about the dogs being abused on set. Is that a dog's purpose? Possibly. Dark. And then this year we have both A Dog's Journey and A Dog's Way Home being released by different studios, but which appear to be basically the same movie. So basically what you're saying is that this is a a pretty common phenomenon. It happens a lot. Yeah. There were like three different Dunkirk movies in an 18th month period. I think that the ones that we're going to be talking about are just like kind of an extreme case, honestly. It was fairly egregious. These movies came out six months apart and very much on the surface and a little bit when you watch them had largely the same thing going on. So we've got a lot to talk about with these two movies. So should we just jump in? Let's do it. Welcome to We Love the Love. A Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation or maybe the same thing across two different movies. Either way, we're going to dig in and we're going to see what's there. It is our mission. It is our quest. It is our duty. (laughs) And we won't stop until we've found an answer. And this week, as mentioned earlier, we are rejoined by our roommate, Claire. I'm back, but you already knew that because I cannot keep my mouth shut for 10 minutes. (laughs) This week, we're trying something new. We are doing our first double feature. It seemed like the only way to talk about either of these movies was to talk about both of them. This is the first time I was really aware of the concept of twin films, I think, because this is one everyone talked about. Right. This is a little bit before the two Steve Jobs movies come out, a twin movie situation that also involves Ashton Kutcher. But this really was one that stood out to a lot of people, in part because it's a situation where you really feel they could switch the titles and it would not matter at all. All the more significant because, of course, No Strings Attached was developed under the title Friends with Benefits, and they had to change it because of conflict between the two studios. There's also the fact that I can't keep straight which people are in which movie because now Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are married. I did not know that. Yeah, they've been married since 2015. And I mean, they've been linked together since she was 14 on that 70s show. Wild. Where the characters dated for most of the series. So yes, these two movies are very similar. 
But I have to ask, why? <laughs> why am I the chosen guest to discuss these two movies, Will? Is it because I love rom-coms or because I'm a hoe or both? It's because you said you wanted to oh, several okay. months ago and you put together this schedule. Great. Well, I'm very excited to discuss these two very similar, but not indistinguishable as Will previously claimed movies. They are indistinguishable if you have not seen them. That is, I'll give that to you. That is perhaps fair. I had seen neither of them and now have seen both of them. And now you can tell them apart. Yes, I can. So we've got a lot to talk about for both of these. I think the best way to do it is going to be to just dive in. And then after we've talked our way through the two, we can dig a little bit into what we think of them in comparison to one another. Sound good? Sure. Perfect. All right. So we're going to start off with the first one to come out. That's No Strings Attached, directed by Ivan Reitman, who we have previously discussed on this show when we covered Ghostbusters. Uh, this movie was released on January 21st, 2011. It had a budget of $25 million and ultimately grossed $70 million. I feel like I finally understand why there was a ghost blowjob scene in this movie. In this movie? Yeah. Right? That scene? There is kind of a ghost blowjob scene in this movie. There is no ghost blowjob scene in this movie. <laughs> There's a weird blowjob scene in this movie. Is there a ghost blowjob scene in Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh. Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. I really should watch Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's really weird because it's just like in the middle of a montage of them fighting ghosts, there's a shot of his fly getting opened by no hands, and then they cut to him making a... Uh, I'm getting a blowjob face. That is very odd. Look, when there's something strange in the neighborhood, it, it means you're getting a blowjob from a ghost. Oh, mm -hmm. well, now I'm even more worried about that than I am worried about IBs. That's how the song goes. <laughs> um, so what is the, what weird blowjob are you referring to in this movie? I don't think there was any oral sex in this film. No, there definitely is. Maybe. During some of the, like, sex montages. The, montage, the other one has weirder oral sex. It does. It does have really weird, um... So, do you, should I, do you want me to get into the point? So, yeah, so No Strings Attached, like I said, directed by Ivan Reitman. It stars Natalie Portman as Emma, as Emma and Ashton Kutcher as Adam. They are two people who decide to have sex but not get emotional about it. Yes, so Emma and Adam actually meet many times before they enter into their No Strings Attached relationship. Point one. And point one. I'm not really an affectionate person. People aren't meant to be together forever. You think so? Yeah. And we know early on that Emma doesn't do emotions because they meet at summer camp and Adam is sad and Emma reluctantly agrees to comfort him even though she's not really an emotional person. She's just like patting him on the back yeah. as he's upset about his parents getting divorced. Very awkwardly. And she tells him, in that moment that people aren't supposed to be together forever. Yeah, she's already very jaded about romance, even as a, we can assume, 13, 12, 13-year-old. 13 and it's kind of an interesting opening because you see all these other couples making out and in kind of a, a little foreshadowing of their relationship, they're just having this kind of emotional conversation. So it's kind of the reverse, actually. Like, whereas later they're having casual sex and no emotions, they start with emotions and no sex. But anyway, that is not relevant. Um, they meet again at a frat party at the University of Michigan. Woo! Where Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher, like someone brought their parents, because they're both clearly not college students. <laughs> they are way too old. They look really, really old. Also, I think it's one of the most extreme examples of a frat party 
like stereotype that doesn't exist. I did not go to many frat parties, but I cannot imagine that they are like what was depicted in this scene. Was Patrice played by Greta Gerwig in that scene too? Yes. So we are introduced with Greta Gerwig and she's wearing booty shorts with the word whore stamped on the back and she's at this frat party. (laughs) Maybe that's why I didn't recognize her because of the booty shorts. But also she didn't stand out as much. I didn't see her and think, oh, that's a mom. We've also got Jake Johnson as Adam's friend. My major gripe with this movie is that there are way too many supporting characters. They all have, like, a number of friends that you would have in, like, real life. Like, they all have, like, four or five friends. When we know that in a movie, you're allowed one friend tops. Which, to be fair, we often criticize movies because it's like, what, they don't know anybody else? Well, that's true, but it got very confusing. I now understand why and retract those criticisms because the fact that she had three roommates and friends plus a rival love interest plus a boss that was weirdly uninvolved and then he had and at least two named family members i suspect that carrie ellis had a larger role in some earlier version of the script that would be my guess because he has billed high and has very little to do i bet they actually sleep together in a original draft or something basically there's too many people in this movie but anyway they're at this frat party and then Continuing to be kind of awkward, Emma invites Adam to quote-unquote a thing, which turns out to be her father's funeral. He shows up in a Michigan hoodie. Which is bright yellow. Everyone else is wearing black. Then they meet again a few years later. At the end, as he's leaving the like funeral reception shindig, he's like, could I call you? And she's like, you'll be lucky if you never see me again. Because yeah, so I'm no good, this lady buddy! Is very, very not into the idea of romance. But Adam is clearly taken with her, so when he runs into her at a farmer's market a few In years Los later, Angeles. In Los Angeles, a few years later, even though he is accompanied by his uh, British dog carrying girlfriend, Vanessa, he is. Still you can never trust a foreigner, Claire. It's true. We knew immediately that Vanessa was evil. Because she's no good! She's British. But he's still taken with Emma, and he asks for her number so they can quote-unquote catch up. And he never calls her until a year later when he discovers that his father, who is a famous TV actor and also does a lot of drugs and has been divorced a bunch of times, is now sleeping with, dun-dun-dun, his ex-girlfriend, the British villain, Vanessa. And that's how you know she's a bad lady. She's British, and she's Banging his dad, who is Kevin Klein, who is kind of fun in this movie. Also, she has a tiny white dog, and everyone knows that only bimbos have tiny white dogs. Tiny dogs are evil. Tiny dogs equals bad. Tiny dogs are the kind of things that you, like, summon through some dark spell. You have to, like, stir a cauldron a bunch of times, and then they leap forth. Are you referring to the black cauldron? (laughs) The Disney movie? Does a white dog leap out of the cauldron in that movie? I don't know what happens in that movie. It is a very weird movie. The wild thing about The Black Cauldron is it's based on the third book in a five-book series. That is not the wildest thing about The Black Cauldron. We should watch The Black the Cauldron. The Black Cauldron has a magic pig that can tell the future. That's just a pig. Anyway, what? Will has very strange views on animals. I don't actually think that people with tiny dogs are evil, by the way. I just think that they're like, oh, women like tiny dogs. Women are bimbos. Women are bad. Here's a tiny dog. So this is all a roundabout way to say that Adam is distraught to learn that his father is sleeping with his ex. So he decides to call every woman in his phone until a woman agrees to have sex with him. And he wakes up naked in Emma's apartment. But they haven't had sex yet. But then they promptly do. What's worth noting is that 
from the drop with Kevin Klein, we're getting weird sex talk. Where when we first see Adam interacting with his dad, his dad is like, oh, are you having sex with anybody? Like, I'm really good at sexing the ladies. Yes, actually, this is a theme that comes up in the other movie. But his father is clearly not a very good dad and is kind of behaving younger than his age and philandering and doing drugs. I do like that all of the artwork in Kevin Klein's house is like promotional posters for his old TV show. Yes, clearly the father is insufferable. Um, now we're going to move on to point number two. Do you want to do this? Do what? Use each other for sex at all hours of the day and night. Nothing else. Yeah, I could do that. So, point number two is that Emma and Adam continue to hook up. Woo! And one thing that I found pretty interesting and commendable about this movie is that from the get-go, Adam is the one who has the emotional involvement. Which is interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of counteracting the cultural stereotype that women are constantly looking for a commitment and men are commitment phobes or unemotional. And just looking for sex. Exactly. So throughout this entire movie... Adam is much more in tune with his emotions and is much more openly pursuing a relationship with Emma. And Emma is constantly holding him at arm's length. Right. After they first have sex, which I'd like to note before they do, she compliments his penis, which she saw the night before when he was naked around her apartment. Then after that, he's like calling her. He leaves her a voicemail asking if she wants to meet up. Then when she doesn't answer that, he brings a congratulations balloon to her work. And she's like, what? Congratulations for having sex with you? And he's like, yeah. This movie has so many cute, funny moments. I just felt like there were too many of them. We don't have to go into like an an overall impressions of the movie, but there are so many sweet moments like that balloon and laugh moments like him going to the funeral in the Michigan jersey. I like it. There's a lot of fun being had in this movie. For sure. I do want to point out that while all of this is happening, Greta Gerwig exists within her own mumblecore movie. Like everyone else is acting in a rom-com, but Greta Gerwig is playing a character in an early 2000s indie film. And Jake Johnson is just there laying the groundwork to play Peter B. Parker in Into the Spider-Verse. Also, like, this is another commonality with Friends with Benefits. The supporting cast is kind of crazy. Like, Mindy Kaling is in this movie. Ludacris? I'm pretty sure it's Ludacris. It is Ludacris. Ludacris is one of... uh, Ludacris is like the fourth friend in this movie. so many friends in this movie, and Ludacris is one of them. Mindy Kaling is another one of the friends. And like, to the movie's credit, they all have kind of their own thing going on, but it's just too many things. So basically, like we said, Adam is much more invested in a relationship, but Emma is not and continues to be afraid of commitment. They agree to have sex at one point. She tells him not to snuggle. And she's like, what I need is someone who's going to be in my bed at two o'clock who I don't have to eat breakfast with or lie to. And so they agree to do this no strings attached banging. Yes. Or you could say they are friends with benefits. You cannot say that. At no point in the movie do they use that phrase. They come close. They never do. It's too, I think they say sex friends instead. Yeah. They're just trying to get to get around it. I don't know how common the term friends with benefits. I feel like it was just coming into like popular use around the times of these movies. But since then, I feel like that's everybody's go-to term for what could be called like sex buddies or, or sex friends. Everyone just says FWB, Claire. I don't think people say that. 
<laughs> yeah, because they say foobs. Foobs. Whoops. That's how I, people should be referring to their romantic partners as foobs. It's well, spelled F W U B. Sorry, non romantic, but purely physical partners are. It's whoops. carnal. Oh, please never say the word carnal ever, ever again in my presence. Words that people cannot say carnal and IBs. <laughs> Not allowed. Okay. Continuing on. We are recording this the day that the story about the bees crawling into the woman's eye went wide. I just said, never to speak of that again, William. And this is not one bee crawling into her eye. This is four. I think we should cut out your explanation and just have random references to the phrase eye bees with no context. You cannot say the phrase eye bees. What is the name of the movie about this woman? The movie about this woman? When there's a movie about this, is it B-Movie 2? Are the bees the heroes? No, they are not the heroes. They crawled into a lady's eye. I think instead of Mr. Popper's penguins, it should be Mrs. Ho's bees. I bees. At least Mr. Popper's penguins has some alliteration going on. But I like the idea that she's a whimsical character that's leading these bees around. If you were going to totally westernize the pronunciation of her name, you could say, for bees, for he... That was not horrible for the amount of time you had to come up with it, but I'm still <laughs> but I'm still mad that we're talking about this at all. What a perfect backhanded compliment. <laughs> I could live with that. Okay, I know I'm pushing us very fast through these points. We got a lot to talk about. Movie to talk about, so I'm gonna steamroll right ahead. So, throughout the course of their casual relationship, Emma and Adam continue to grow much closer. Montage. Yes. Oh, very important. There is a sex montage. This is point three, right? Yes, we're at point three. We're spooning with our clothes on, which is like ten times worse. Oh, shit. Yeah. Holy clothes spoon. This is bad. They say no fighting, no lying, no jealousy, no staring into each other's eyes, no listing each other as an emergency contact. Yeah, they have a lot of rules, but they do not follow those rules. Oh, no, they don't, because... Adam makes a period playlist for Emma with songs about blood. He also brings her cupcakes. And he brings her cupcakes, and they spoon all night, fully clothed. And then Emma suggests that they should hook up with other people, but just when Adam is maybe going to hook up with other people, although not really because there's a lesbian subplot that didn't really need to be a part of this movie. Like, he thinks he's going to hook up with a lady, and then he realizes she's talking to a different lady, and then he brings them both home like they're going to have a threesome, but they clearly have no interest in him being a part of it. It's unclear why they agreed to go to this man's home. Maybe they both have, like, roommates who would be weird about it, and they thought he was, like, being cool and giving them a space. Anyway, Emma prevents him from hooking up with those women who were never going to hook up with him anyway. She calls them pumpkins! She calls them pumpkins in perhaps one of the weirdest romance movie insults of all time. Call the pumpkin patch because they're missing their pumpkins! she literally says that. It's very weird. Yeah, that was a quote. That was not me joking. Oh, okay. Yes. She gets drunk and calls them pumpkins and chases them out of his house. And... To be fair, she knows because he calls to be like, all right, I'm doing what you told me to do. Yeah, true. So he, he this whole time, he has no interest in anyone else. He wants to be with her. And she is at a work party where she's like, this is what we do. So she's like trying to hook up with people at the work party. Including uh, her resident friend and also Carrie Elwes. Is that how you say his name? I think so. Okay. Anyway, the guy from Princess Bride is in this movie, everyone, as a hot-ish doctor. And that's basically his most, his, Mark is nodding. (laughs) More attractive than when he was in Ella Enchanted, for sure. 
Well, to be fair, in LA Enchanted, he was dating a literal snake. It's really And not even dating, they were life partners. It's really weird in this movie because the glasses he's wearing and the beard at the time are supposed to show him as like a nerd and like uncool but now you see it, it's like oh look at his hip glasses and beard and his weird patterned sweater he's so cool i hadn't thought of that he's like the only person in the movie who looks like a cool hipster and everyone else it's like oh yes it's 2011 or so many layers yeah cardigans like half cardigans weird situations lots of really heavy eye makeup which yes. only makes both natalie portman's and mila kunis's freakishly large eyes look even larger especially mila kunis also both of them are really tiny anyway let's continue so we can get to the second movie basically they get very close adam does end up listing emma as his emergency contact which she is not wild about no but they get close enough that adam feels comfortable asking emma out on a real date by this point have they already gone to dinner with his dad and vanessa yes They've gone to dinner with his dad and his evil ex-girlfriend, and his dad and the girlfriend announce that they are expecting a baby, or plan to uh, try to conceive a baby. And And Natalie Portman gives this whole speech about how, like, you're clearly a lunatic because I don't understand how anyone could choose to date anybody besides Adam, who is great, but we are not dating, we are just banging. Yes, she makes this weird impassioned speech, which is what encourages Adam to ask her on a real date. And I've been trying to get through these points quickly, but they are going all over the place because this movie has a lot of plot points. There's a lot. There is a lot happening in this movie. Like the whole dad and Vanessa relationship, baby situation. Anyway. Patrice and Eli start dating in the middle of this too. And you guys don't even know who Patrice and Eli are. Eli is Jake Johnson. He's got two dads. And Patrice is Greta Gerwig. So they end up dating. (laughs) Who is Greta Gerwig? Sadly... Ludacris and Mindy Kaling do not end up dating. I was really expecting them to. because They both date other people by the end of the movie, though, right? Ludacris just disappears. Ludacris is, like, critically underused in this film. But he does seem to be a successful business owner. To be fair, I've seen Ludacris in concert. Didn't love it. I'm sorry, you saw Ludacris in concert? It was part of a festival I went to in Memphis. You, William Redmond. What is your middle name, William? Uh, Stanislaus. No, it is not. You, William something Redmond III, have seen Ludacris in concert? Yeah, but I abandoned it and walked over to the one where Jack White was performing. I don't know if I can name a single Ludacris song. I can't either, and I know I have never heard one in its entirety. I feel so bad. Because he would just do a little bit, then talk about how many records he had sold, and then do a little bit of something else. Honestly, Ludacris is a good pun, though, in terms of rapper names. Oh, it's great. His name is Christopher, and he goes by Ludacris. Okay, what are his most famous songs? Why don't they just list his discography? Do you think we could call him Ludacristopher? No, because he already came up with a good pun. So why are you ruining his good pun? Okay, anyway, let's get back to the points. Go on a date with me. You're heavily sedated. One date. Let's do it. Why, so I can wear makeup and act perfect all night? Yeah. So they go on this date, and it's a lovely date. They have such a good time that Adam tells Emma that he loves her. This is the one where he brings her the carrots? Yes. Instead of flowers? She says no flowers, so he brings her carrots. Another charming but unnecessary plot point in this film. So They play mini golf. They play This date, like the movie, has a lot of different steps and set in many different places with many different supporting characters that are not necessary to the date. 
But the key point that you need to know is they go on the date. Adam says he loves Emma. Emma freaks out. That's why they're having a milkshake. Okay. It's another location. Well, I tried to condense this ridiculous film into five points and you are adding way too much supporting detail. Right I want now. a milkshake. Okay. So basically, Emma freaks out at Adam. Adam says he can't do this casual relationship anymore. They break up and stop having sex, no strings attached. That's good news for Lake Bell, who has been trying to bang Adam for the entire movie. We didn't even have to bring up Lake Bell, but now you have brought up the fact that Lake Bell is also in this movie, proving my point. We haven't even talked about their respective careers, which also play a role in this movie, but I'm not going to get into it because we have two movies to cover, William, so why did you have to bring up Lake Bell? Basically, what you need to know, the listeners at home, is that... Emma goes to her sister's wedding, and after talking to her mom and her sister... Another character. Another character, the friend from Juno, whose oh, name I do not know. Worth noting, Juno, of course, directed by Ivan Reitman's son, Jason. Also worth noting, Emma's mom is dating a guy named Bones. Is that really... Did we have to note that? Was Bones really <laughs> Yeah, we necessary? did. I wish we could... You know why he's named Bones? Why is he named Bones? Because he has a lot of sex. Okay. Like the, everyone in this movie. The movie tells us that. Yeah, but but this is just more information that the movie gives us that is not central to the plot, which is the infuriating part about this movie. Bones. So anyway. She Remember when there's a TV show called Bones? Was he the lead? Oh, can you let me finish the point? I love you. I'm totally, completely in love with you. And I don't care if you think it's too late. I'm telling you anyway. So she's convinced at the wedding that... She loves Adam, and she drives back to tell him, but there's another woman. It's Lake Bell. It's Lake Bell at his house, but then she gets a call from Mindy Kaling, whose name I don't remember, that Adam's dad, whose name I also don't remember, Kevin Klein, is at the hospital with Vanessa, whose name I inexplicably remember. And basically- Because you don't know the actor's name. Right, that's why I'm so sorry to the actor that I don't know her name. But it's She's evil, you don't need to know it. In movies, you only remember character names when you don't know the actor name. That's a good observation. So basically, Adam's dad is fine. Vanessa, the evil Brit, decides she can't deal with somebody who's old and is going to get sick and be in the hospital. And Adam is leaving the hospital when Emma pulls up, having heard that Adam's dad is in the hospital, tells Adam that she loves him, and they finally get together. Yay! I'm not sure if anyone followed that, but basically, they have- They have casual sex. They have casual sex. Emma doesn't want it to be a thing. They break up. Emma realizes she wants it to be a thing. They get back together and supposedly live happily ever after with their ridiculously large cast of friends. Okay, rapid fire through this. Do we find the romance between Adam and Emma believable? I actually do. I kind of do. Yeah. Me too. I wouldn't say it's a 10 out of 10. No, no, no. But we get a good sense of them as people, which I think their friend groups contribute to. I think that's actually a plus in the believability because we see how this relationship fits into their larger life. That's true. I mean, but what makes a 10 out of 10? What, who, what has been a 10 out of 10? The Shining almost was, except we decided no one would date Jack Nicholson. Like, if it had been any other actor, it would have been a 10 out of 10. Because I don't think there's much that's un believable about this couple other than i'm not sure that a casual relationship ever becomes a real relationship but i don't know i feel like emma is just so blatantly over the top i don't have emotions that it's like no one acts like that the one part that i think is unbelievable is how 
cheerfully and persistently Adam tries to win her over. Yeah. Despite how firmly... And it's not like a consent thing. Like, I think he's still respecting her boundaries, but she's rejecting him enough times that I think a regular person in real life would get discouraged and stop trying. Right. Especially when Lake Bell is right there trying to get with him. Or at least, you know, express some sort of emotion besides happiness. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, you're right. I don't find, I find it medium believable, like a six or seven. I could do a seven. I would go up to a seven. Yeah. yeah I, I was thinking a, even a seven or an eight. I give it a seven. Cool. Do we think that they are dateable, though? Adam, maybe, Emma, no. Correct. Uh, agree. Hard Adam's hard. a friendly guy. He's got lots of cute instincts. Yeah. But Listen. Emma is too impersonal. Yeah, and she does not do emotions and public displays of affection and open communication, which would be a deal breaker for me. Do you think they would stay together? If Emma goes to therapy, yes. If Emma continues to have weird emotion repression issues, probably not. I wonder what's going on with Adam, too. Like, there's definitely some tension with his relationship with his father. Sure. And it's worth noting, Vanessa leaves his father by the end of the movie. True. It's not just that, though. He's also, like, and this is something that the friend from Juno, the sister, Emma's sister, points out, is that he's like, happy all the time or some one of the friends that i can't remember points this out but he's like a little too cheerful so i think there might be something going on with him too do you think he has a dark secret no i think he's just effed up because his dad is really weird you're sure he's not a murderer (laughs) okay let's we have another movie to discuss okay so about six months after no strings attached came out again no strings attached was january 21st 2011 On July 22nd, 2011, so almost exactly six months later, Friends with Benefits came out. This one's directed by Will Gluck, who we have discussed previously for his film Easy A, and also not officially, but liberally nonetheless, for his film Peter Rabbit. Friends with Benefits had a budget of $35 million and grossed $55 million, so it's substantially less profitable than No Strings Attached. And it starred Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. To be fair to Friends with Benefits, in terms of its profit, it opened against week one of Captain America the First Avenger and week two of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So that was a tough weekend. Fair. So, let me dive right into the five points. So, last time we had Emma and Adam. Now we have Dylan and Jamie entering into a very similar relationship. Although they are not having no-strings-attached sex, they are... Friends with Benefits, which I don't think they say in the movie either. I don't know that they do. I don't think there's a title drop. But congratulations to Sony for winning this conflict, because they got the title. Yes. Friends with Benefits, I would argue, is a better title than No Strings Attached. Yeah. Yeah. That's why both of the movies wanted it. Right. Okay, so, point number one. You're really going to carry my bag? You're that girl? No, I'm going to change your life. I'm that girl. Life is already pretty great. Oh, really? Jamie is a headhunter, and she recruits Dylan, who is Jamie, played by Mila Kunis, and Dylan, played by Justin Timberlake. She wants his head! She wants his head, and... She's gonna put it on a pike! Are you done? Probably not. Okay, so... (laughs) Jamie recruits Dylan to be the art director of GQ in New York City! At the start of the movie, he's working at... Some kind of website. It looks like kind of crappy, like maybe web 2.0 design where he's like flicking pictures around, but it's a really busy design. 
there's just tons of stuff going on. But he's apparently very passionate, and people in the office like to stand around and listen to him talk. It's some kind of web publication that he is the art director or the leader of. So basically, he flies to New York. Mila Kunis welcomes him. At the airport, she's like walking around on the baggage carousel. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very cute, overly cute, meet cute. This movie kind of makes fun of itself at a lot of moments, and this is one of them. She's like running on the baggage claim, and later in the movie, he brings it up like, oh, you were totally being ridiculous. Like, who? Oh, here I am. I'm goof- goofy and cute. It's worth noting. At the very beginning of the movie, both of them get broken up with by their significant others, Emma Stone and Andy Samberg, basically for being emotionally distant. True. This movie also posits that John Mayer opens a concert with Your Body is a Wonderland, which would be a terrible song to open a concert with. I also noticed that and was I didn't believe that at all. Same. That's definitely a middle of the concert crowd pleaser. You play your hit, you play a couple... You gotta have some high songs. energy there. High energy end, and then in the middle, you slip into that. It's a crowd favorite, but it's a little slower, and then you get the energy back up. Clearly, it's a middle of a concert song. While Dylan's on his way to New York, he's getting flirted with by a flight attendant, who then suddenly turns on him when he disses Sully Sullenberger. Which is a running joke, but I just wanted to ask Mark if he has actually been to a John Mayer concert, perhaps right after you both went to the Ludacris concert (laughs) that you attended. (laughs) No, I haven't been to any concerts before 2013 when John Mayer was already less of a thing. So This is a very 2011 movie. Insane. Like hitting John Mayer at his peak, Sully Sullenberger jokes, which show up three times. Many, many times. Flash mobs. And an iPads don't work very well joke. PlayStation move. Pants that are just slightly too large to Is be- this the one with the weirdly long shorts or is that no strings no, attached that's no strings attached this one justin timberlake is wearing pants that aren't like baggy but they're not skinny or slim it's in that awkward middle phase where i'm just like i see you on the path towards slim fit jeans but it's an uncomfortable step along the way also more of the intensely heavy eye makeup which is even more striking because mila kunis is a bush baby right she looks like alita i don't know what are you talking about the battle angel oh every, my bush baby reference was so much better way more people are gonna get that and you had this to is a movie podcast that nobody understands there's a scene this is why in alita battle angel <laughs> where she is in the like murder skateboarding roller derby thing and she rides up to a cliff she pulls out her magic sword which she has previously used to slice her own tears open, and she points it at the overlords in the city floating above like Babe Ruth calling his shot. And then the movie ends like they're like, you bet you're going to come for a sequel. We have to talk about two movies. Why are you talking about a different movie? Because I love the confidence of Alita Battle Angel being like, yeah, sword in the sky. You're going to come back. That movie's not getting a sequel. I wish it would, but it ain't happening. You know who's also confident? Mila Kunis, as she is trying to convince Justin Timberlake. I'm not going to use their names. I'm going to forget their names. But anyway, she's trying to convince Dylan to move to New York. They essentially go on a first date which is her introducing New York to him. And there's a flash mob. They meet Sean White. Why is Sean White in this movie? It's another recurring joke. Which it's another 2011 thing. It's very 
To this movie's credit, it has a very interesting supporting cast, but does not have too many supporting characters for you to follow, unlike No Strings Attached. But Sean White was definitely one of the unnecessary additions. This one relies on family more than friends, which I think is a choice where it fleshes out the character and you're not like, oh, why do they only have one friend? Because it makes more sense for you to either only have one sister or just your mom. And you can have fewer characters without getting the idea of like, oh, this person has no friends. However, I will say that their supporting characters are poorly chosen, given that a recurring character is Sean White, and given that their other recurring character is this mess of a character played by Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson in this movie is bizarre. I was so uncomfortable through a lot of this movie. There are more than one transphobic joke. Woody Harrelson plays this over-the-top weird cliche that's like making fun of the fact that gay men are generally perceived as effeminate by going the other way to the point where it's just dumb. Right, so the idea is like he's the sports editor for GQ and he's like really into like, I'm gonna have like sex all the time, like pursuing it in a stereotypically masculine way and like being into sports, but also just like every time you see him, he's like, I'm gay. Have you heard of that? I like to have sex with men. Yeah, he's basically just like dick, 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 cock, 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 I'm gay. And then sports. It is very uncomfortable and bad. So I would trade Woody Harrelson for Greta Gerwig or Mindy Kaling or Ludacris in a heartbeat. Or all of them, because they're all fun. No. Either Greta Gerwig or Mindy Kaling could have played that one role of friend. Don't forget that we also have Guy Branham as another roommate slash doctor friend. I forgot. Anyway, let's focus on the movie at hand. So Dylan moves to New York. And this is point number two. Point number two. Let's play tennis. What? Let's have sex like we're playing tennis. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Don't laugh. Dylan moves to New York, and he, Jamie is the only person he knows, and they quickly become friends. This is really the part of the movie that makes the least sense to me, because she's a headhunter. She did her job. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me that they then become, like, best friends, where they're, like, hanging out casually on her couch and, like, talking about their lives together. Like, that's not how headhunting works. I think it was just more the fact that after he signed the contract, they didn't really have a relationship, and she liked him when they were touring around. So she was basically like, I'll throw you a pity invite to my party, because you don't know anyone in the city. It's, like, also a little bit implausible to me that someone who works in media in the internet age, would know zero people in New York. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. It's just a convenient plot device to put the two of them together. But you can see their chemistry building. They have kind of a friend montage. But critically, Jamie makes it very clear that they shouldn't date because it would ruin their relationship and she's the only person he knows in New York. Right, if they start dating, then who will she go to corn on the cob restaurants with? Yeah, they get corn on the cob for lunch, which is just... Just really weird. Like, who eats corn on the cob when it's not, like, Thanksgiving or a barbecue? Sounds like some 2019 nonsense. Corn on the cob is an outdoor food. What are you saying? Oh, it is an outdoor food. Well, not on Thanksgiving. That's an indoor food. It's like wedges of watermelon. Valid. That's a valid point. I see that comparison for sure. Wedges of watermelon is messier, though, so that's definitely an outdoor food. There's also wedges of watermelon at a hotel breakfast buffet. There's a lot of weird food choices in this movie. (laughs) Anyway, what other weird food choices are there? Uh, Those. The steak scene. Yeah. Oh, the steak scene, yeah. Um, okay. Shout out to No Strings Attached for having a great brunch at the end of the movie. That stuff looks delicious. That's true, they're eating a lot of pan 
I love a good pancake. So, basically, they're friends, and one night they're up late drinking beer together, and they're watching a romantic comedy, and they were both broken up with so long ago, and they haven't had sex since, and they are like, well, wouldn't it be great if sex could just be like playing tennis, and there could be no emotions involved, it could just be like a physical act? You play the game, you walk away. So, Justin Timberlake suggests that they have casual sex, and then... They swear on Mila Kunis' Bible app, which is weird because later she makes a joke about not being Christian. What's weird is anybody who has a Bible app also has a Bible around their home. But also, why does she... I mean, maybe she was just doing it to be funny. This movie is very quippy, sometimes unsuccessfully. Whereas, like, No Strings Attached felt a little more real, even for a rom-com. This movie is very much, like, every line is like, but on the ching There's also a lot of, like, characters explaining their or other people's emotional state to each other. Yeah, that was something that you noticed that I didn't, that didn't really stand out to me. But I definitely felt like the script was really full of one-liners. It's very much a Will Gluck movie. So, they swear on the Bible app that they will not have any emotions but that they will remain friends even when they have sex. And then we have our second, well, not second for this movie, but second in the two movies we're discussing, Sex Montage. Woo! I do want to shout out, before we move on too far from it, in a lot of movies when people are watching a rom-com, like, say, in Isn't It Romantic, which came out earlier this year, there's a whole thing about watching Pretty Woman. What I like in this one is they created a rom-com within the rom-com, which stars Jason Segel and Rashida Jones, and, and it, looks like a lot of fun. It has a ton of nuns, which I feel like is the most random choice you could make for a rom-com, and I'm so into it. I want to watch that movie. Um, it reminded me of uh, They Came Together. Like a spoof of a rom-com, basically. A movie that comes up on this show a lot. Okay, so they're having casual sex. There is a weird oral sex scene. Not a ghost blowjob, but it's... So it doesn't count. It's strange. There's a lot of sex jokes in their sex montage, whereas the sex montage in the other movie was more them getting to know each other. I think we differ in that I prefer No Strings Attached. To friends with benefits and i think the sex montage in that one does a lot of building character building their relationship where this one feels like they're kind of shooting off like what are all the different sex jokes we can come up with yeah i kind of agree with that assessment when we get to the end of the points we should definitely compare and com- contrast the two sex montages and the two movies in general but for the meantime as you can guess this casual sexual relationship doesn't work out for long and jamie decides she actually wants to date his name is parker Bum, 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 bum. He's a children's oncologist. Bum, 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 bum. And I have a date this Saturday. Da, 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 da. <gasps> nice. Thank you. So they stop having sex and go back to being good friends. But the guy she goes on a few dates with ends up walking out on her after they have sex. Although Weirdly, he-, he stays the night and then sneaks out. It is so weird. Will and I had the same reaction because we were like, why on earth would you sleep the entire... And they were on her couch. Like... Not in a comfortable bed. Like, they spooned the entire night on her uncomfy one-person couch, and then he snuck away in the morning. There's the comment in When Harry Met Sally where Billy Crystal talks about having sex with someone and then just kind of, like, sitting there thinking, when can I go home? And so you have to imagine that this dude, Parker, was doing the same thing, but he stayed the whole night on a couch. Even though he had every intention of hurting her feelings and never seeing her again. Which seems like a weird choice. For and this is after having gone along with her five date rule, which is that she doesn't have sex until the fifth date. 
Yeah. A character detail about Mila Kunis's character is that she really wants to be swept off her feet, whereas her relationship with Justin Timberlake is super jokey and physical. All of her romantic relationships, she wants to be more picturesque or, or um, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say. But she's trying to make it into a fairy tale, and the five-date rule is part of that. And there is a little bit of uh, foot-sweeping when her mom then cancels their planned camping trip. And so Jamie says, hey, come on to visit my family in Los Angeles with me. We'll have a good time for the 4th of July. This movie also has a dysfunctional parent, which is Mila Kunis's mother, who much like Ashton Kutcher's dad in the other movie, is kind of an older person who is sleeping around and living a life a little bit younger than maybe their age would suggest. We also have Dylan's dad, played by Richard Jenkins, who is dealing with Alzheimer's. Yes. So when they get to L.A., Mila Kunis... Point number four. Point number four. Just glad I met you. Yeah, well, knowing you doesn't suck either. Mila Kunis has this window into Justin Timberlake's family life, including that his father has Alzheimer's and his close relationship with his sister. And they get even closer and... uh, Keep regularly insisting that they're just friends, that they are not dating. Right, even though she's home over a holiday weekend to spend time with his family. Dylan sneaks in to have sex with her that night, and she says, no, she doesn't want to have sex, but they end up talking and sharing with each other, and eventually they have sex, but this time it's different. The music is more romantic. It's a slower montage with no... They're making love. No sex jokes. Please add that to the list, which includes, just to remind everyone, carnal... I-bees and making love are things that you cannot say, William. You cannot say them those things. Fine, they're copulating. <laughs> okay, I rescind making Point love. Us. No, no, none of these words. None of them. Not allowed. What should we say? Fornicating. So after, after they swore <laughs> on the Bible, which was also a weird choice. So um, after they fornicate... <laughs> they, uh, Mila Kunis is clearly developed feelings for Dylan. But he, like, sneaks out. Yes, but he sneaks out. Just like Parker did. Yes, but she's not really offended because they're, like, at his home and he doesn't want his family to know and stuff. But she overhears him telling his sister how he could never date her. He's, he's getting defensive because his sister is pressing him about his relationship with Jamie, and he says, oh, she's too emotionally damaged. I could never date her. And Jamie's feelings are really hurt, and she flies back to New York and is really angry at Dylan for being a shitty friend and for saying those things about her. Which takes us to point number five. Point number five. I miss you. I miss you too. But you're not wrong. I am damaged. So am I. Who isn't? That's what makes us so awesome. Basically, Dylan and Jamie are fighting. They're not getting along. They're not even really talking to each other. No, Jamie is avoiding Dylan, and when Dylan finally finds her... He's, like, tried to call her a bunch of times. He's tried to visit her at work. He doesn't really understand what happened. Right, and she tells him what she overheard, and it comes out that she's also upset that essentially they are not together, or it's just like every other time, and he's letting her down. And he kind of rightly so is confused because they were not really dating, so he feels like he hasn't done anything wrong. He stuck to the parameters that she had asked for. Right. 
But Mila Kunis is, is uh, Jamie is upset because she wants to be with Dylan at this point, and he said these horrible things about her and doesn't want to be with her. It's worth distinguishing here between the relationships in this movie and the other one. Whereas in No Strings Attached, Natalie Portman as Emma is very much the one staying at a remove, not interested in a relationship, and Ashton Kutcher as Adam keeps pushing for that. Whereas in this movie, Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake both start out being like, we don't want a relationship at all, stay separate, and for the most part, both are sticking to that until we see a gradual movement really around the time they go to L.A. Yeah. Although I will say that one of them is more into the idea of relationships. Like Mila Kunis is... She wants that fairy tale. Right. She wants that fairy tale. She's a... What is that term for somebody? Romantic? Yes. Sorry. She's a romantic. Whereas Justin Timberlake is kind of messed up by his parents' divorce and the situation at home. You could imagine him agreeing with Natalie Portman being like, people aren't meant to stay together. Right. So they're back in New York and they're fighting and it takes until Dylan's dad visits for Dylan to realize. Dylan's dad tells him a story about this woman that he keeps thinking that he sees. Dee Dee. Um, woman, the one who got away. And Dylan realizes that he truly loves having Jamie in his life. She's his best friend. He loves her and he shouldn't let her get away. So in a callback to their original first like recruitment date in New York, when they saw a flash mob in Times Square, he organizes a flash mob for her in Grand Central Station. Because it's 2011. And he declares his feelings for her, and they kiss in Grand Central, and then they finally get together. Remember flash mobs? What a weird time. I participated in a flash mob. That was like a key early YouTube thing. It was probably around that time, actually. I participated in a flash mob in a mall in northern Minnesota. There is a video. Was it the Mall of America? No, no. The Mall of America is in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities. I didn't know there were other malls in Minnesota. There is. It's, uh, I forget what the mall is called, but it's in Bemidji. And uh, it was like just one Dairy Queen mostly in the mall. And my camp did a flash mob in the middle of the mall. Were you doing a particular musical or dance number? No, we were do- I mean, we were dancing to El Madi by Mika. And this does exist online, but I don't think you can see me. In the flash mob. My go-to flash mob reference. This was a mall mall in northern Minnesota in the summer in the middle of the day. So there was no one at the mall other than the people participating in the flash mob. And like one old lady at the Dairy Queen. Well, I'm sure she appreciated it. I hope she did. My go-to reference for a flash mob was always the Improv Everywhere food court musical. I remember that one. That one was pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, Improv Everywhere is another of those things that's like such a particular moment in the history of YouTube. It's very much tied to YouTube, too. And looking back, it feels like a more wholesome social network. Right, like, if we have the ages of YouTube, there's initially where it's, like, home videos or, like, captures from local news. Essentially AFV. Right, like, the earliest stuff is things that were filmed and then uploaded to YouTube. And this era of the flash mob of Improv Everywhere is kind of like the first generation of stuff created to be watched on YouTube. Whereas then later we get more professional stuff, we get people whose sole career is making YouTube. And now we have Nazis. Yay! And don't forget the pivotal role of shoes in bridging the gap between the home videos and the for YouTube content. Do it. Let's get some shoes. Oh my god. Shoes. Now, think about friends with benefits. Coins. Do we find this relationship believable? 
I say this one is less believable. Agreed. I, yeah. I don't think it's that believable. Like I said, I struggle with the fact that they maintain any kind of relationship after the first ten minutes. Oh, well, okay. But if you remove that one unbelievable, like, part of it, what do you think? They're just less flushed out as people than in the other one. I somehow agree that their chemistry isn't as good. I feel like I see the other two have fun to an extent that I don't with these two. This movie's more focused on, like, the quips and their relationships. But also their turmoil. Like, there's a lot of feeling. And not just, like, we're having a good time together. I think also it's hard for me to get over the fact that I'm just much more into Ashton Kutcher's character than I am into Justin Timberlake's character. Because he's just so emotionally available and, like, so romantic and sweet. So I'm just, like, much less taken by this couple because I'm like, oh, like... You know, Justin Timberlake is begrudgingly convinced to commit, and that's just, like, not as romantic. Yeah, this relationship seems like a bummer. Yeah, I feel like in this movie, they don't have a lot of fun outside of sex. So, if we're putting this on our 10-point scale, zero is totally unbelievable, 10 is totally believable. We gave the other movie 7 or 8. Where do we put this one? I still think it's a 5, because yeah. there's nothing that's, like, super unbelievable. Like, I could definitely see it as two people who end up dating and maybe don't stay together. Okay, I'm fine with the five. Yeah. That's where I'm at, too. Do we think they are dateable, though? No. No. I don't know. I don't mind Mila Kunis's character. Yeah, they keep saying how messed up she is, but they don't really demonstrate it. I think they're just telling us to believe that she's a messed up I mean, person. the way that she's messed up is that she wants a relationship, and she wants it to be a certain way, but, like, we're not really shown, like, even in the mini breakup with, At- what's, what's his face? Andy Jam- Dylan? No, 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 the mini breakup at the beginning with Andy Samberg. Is that his name? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry that I forgot his name. He's so cute. You don't really see her doing anything wrong. She's just getting broken up with. And we don't really get context as to what she's doing to make this happen. We're told she's distant. Uh, that's true. You're right. But we're told she's distant by Andy Samberg making excuses for breaking up with her. Sure. I would say she is the most dateable of them. Of the four? Of the four. Or at least of the two, for sure. I I think Ashton Kutcher. I think Ashton Kutcher. Adam. I swear he's got a deep, dark secret. Yeah, he's a murderer. I thought we were an anti-murder podcast. We are an anti-murder podcast, but if you cover it up well, (laughs) if you cover it well, then we're impressed by your skill. Shall we compare these two twin movies? Last thing, do we think Jamie and Dylan would stay together? I don't think so. I don't either. Me neither. Okay, cool. So, we've watched both of these movies. They are very similar. What do we think? I would like to point out some key similarities. The premise of the movie and the original title. The fact that Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are in these twin movies and they are weirdly linked. The sex montages... In it's a copulation montage. The Sorry. The fornication... The coitus montages in both of these movies both of them feature man butt and i think that we should rate both of the butts it's worth noting we also watched the room this week so we've seen a lot of man butt why did you just make me think of i was thinking pleasant thoughts of ashton kutcher and justin timberlake and tommy wiseau and now you're making me think about tommy wiseau's butt which i'm adding to the list of things you are not allowed to make me think about including ibs and ludicrous at this point what if Bees crawled out of their butts. Well, why would you ruin Justin Timberlake's butt for me? A precious butt. A what if it was butt? What if it was Barry B. Benson from the B movie crawling out of Justin Timberlake's butt? I'm gonna continue 
talking about similarities between these movies to not address that horrible mental image. So both of them have a parent who is problematic and acting younger than their age and making poor decisions. Uh, What other similarities do the two of them have? The heavy eye makeup we've already discussed. Any other like striking similarities between the two movies? They both feature L.A. Indeed. Indeed, they both feature <laughs> Los Angeles. The center of the movie industry. Yes. But what do we think of these two movies? I think we should, at the very least, express our preference among the two. I think that both movies have stronger first halves than second halves. I think that's fair. And I think the strongest first half is No Strings Attached. I think I might prefer No Strings Attached to Friends with Benefit because I find their like romantic reunion in Friends with Benefits especially cloying and unbelievable. I will say that I find the conflict more believable in Friends with Benefits. That I also agree with. Oh no, it is believable that Emma would get freaked out by commitment, but her quick turnaround from that... It's fast. From her sister's wedding... When she drives off to get him. Right. Whereas with Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake, it feels like an inevitable conflict. And we also get a sense that, like, there's been some time of them being separate. We're not really sure exactly how long it is in No Strings Attached. It's long enough that his script goes into development and he changes her number in his phone to be do not answer. But it does seem a little more immediate in that movie. Yeah, and we don't really see what flips the switch in her mind. Whereas I think we can clearly see in Friends with Benefits that they both are developing feelings for each other just at different rates and not expressing them very well. I found this interesting. No Strings Attached has a 50 on Metacritic and Friends with Benefits has, I believe, a 63. So that's a pretty significant jump. So at least critics tend to think that Friends with Benefits is the better movie. And I remember being told that before we started this, too. Definitely going into this, I thought that. And I think I still think that because it's just, it just moves more quickly. Like, you've kind of convinced me that I like the characters in the other movie better. But I find it to be just super meandering. And there's just too many cute plot points and, and, like, diversions and tangents. And it's not, like, quick and tight like we want a romantic comedy to be. Whereas Friends with Benefits... It is quippy, but I kind of like that about it. And it's quick and it moves fast. And I like that. So my objection is that I think the jokes in Friends with Benefits largely serve the purpose of being jokes. Where I felt the jokes in No Strings Attached were telling me more about these people and telling me more about their relationships. So I think the movie does meander a little bit. There are times where it's moving kind of slowly. But overall, I had more fun spending time with those characters because I felt like I was really being immersed in their world and enjoyed spending time with them. Yeah, I can't really take issue with that. I just think that it it is too long and that spoils it for me. Like, it's too slow. I see your point of view, but I still prefer the other movie. I mean, I don't think either of these are standout rom-coms. it is notable to say that I prefer Justin Timberlake. I don't prefer Justin Timberlake as a person, as a celebrity. I think I prefer Ashton Kutcher. And I think I prefer Ashton Kutcher's face. But I definitely prefer Justin Timberlake's butt. And that plays a big role in which movie I think is better. But... What if we put Tommy Wiseau's butt into that no! conversation? I told you not to talk about Tommy Wiseau's butt. You did not talk about Tommy Wiseau's butt. Oh, hi, Mark. If we put all the characters from both of these movies together and you had to pick one person to date, who would it be? Ludicrous. No, it's not really ludicrous. Um, 
What is Ludacris's character's name, Claire? I don't know what his character's <laughs> name is. Do you know what any of the characters are named? His name is Wallace. Wow, I had no idea what that was. Um, Greta Gerwig seems pretty cool. I was thinking Patrice, too. Actually, you know who's really cool is uh, Justin Timberlake's sister, Annie. She seems really nice. She is cool. I like her, and her house is dope. It's on the beach in Los Angeles, so... I would like to date and marry into that house, please. We all know I want to say Jake Johnson because I want to date Spider-Man. But I think if I'm being honest, I think I want to date Ashton Kutcher. He seems great. He would bring me a balloon. That's true. I forgot about Ashton and his less good but still good butt. And And cupcakes. And cupcakes and period playlists. Okay, he's real. But is he like that with every girl or just with Emma? I could find out. That's true. You would you would be the girl to make it happen. I'm happy to try. I also always try and pick someone that's not a lead, as you know. I do know that. So I was I was thinking Patrice. I want to save my Jake Johnson for a theoretical Spider Verse episode. What about Bones? Bones. <laughs> Bones has a great mustache. The only thing we know about Bones is that he is good in bed. So, a good reason to date mm-hmm. someone. To be fair, we have picked people for worse reasons. We've also picked people for better. Because remember Midge. Midge! It's been too long since we've talked about Midge. Midge is my girl. Anyway. She might still be. No, she's not our cover photo on Facebook anymore. Who is Midge? Midge from Vertigo? She's the best. She's like a cool clothes designer. And like she makes advertisements. Are Vertigo and Sideways the same movie? They are not. No. Which one has Sandra O? Oh, because I want to date her. Sideways. Okay, well. Vertigo is a Hitchcock thriller. Oh, no, thank you. That's why I didn't watch it. <laughs> she also, when she wants to date Jimmy Stewart, and he's, like, obsessed with this dead lady in a painting, she, using her art skills, makes a new version of that painting with herself as the lady in the painting. And it's, like, the most badass move of, like, focus on this lady. It's me. If that movie was made in 2019, Midge would be such a lesbian, and I would prefer it so much. She's got such a great look. She's so cool. Midge is my girlfriend. I thought your girlfriend was What's-Her-Face in A League of Their Own. Yes, Gina Davis in A League of Their Own is my wife. Oh, sorry. but you Prior also... to our marriage, I was dating Midge from Vertigo. Oh, but it didn't work out. Much it was going great, Emma... but then Gina Davis in A League of Their Own became single. I see. Yes, that makes sense. Much like Emma Stone and Justin Timberlake, it did not work out. Exactly. Mark is now just Googling pictures of bitch. <laughs> I wanted to find the portrait that she paints. All right. Well, that signals that we are probably just about done. So next week, under orders from our benevolent overlords at Square Apron, as I am apparently required to call them, we'll be continuing our coverage of the romances of DreamWorks animation by discussing Kung Fu Panda. This is another one that we remember as being decent, at least. So yeah. So I'm curious to see if this one holds up. Like, I'm, I found How to Train Your Dragon too. I'm not sure it has romance. We will find out. I think he might have a crush on a tiger, but I have no idea. Oh, cool. That sounds kind of right. All right. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveTheLovePod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it helps us gain new listeners. Last question. Claire, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from either No Strings Attached or Friends with Benefits? I mean, the clear quote-unquote moral of these is that casual sex does not work or that you can turn casual sex into a 
fulfilling romantic relationship. As long as you go through the fire first. As you have long, to fight before you, you can get there. you have a five-point romantic arc, including a conflict and uh, way too many supporting characters. But that is horrible dating advice. So I think my real dating advice is bring people a balloon to congratulate them on having sex with That you. was gonna be mine! No, that's why I took it. <laughs> Mark, what about you? My piece of dating advice is, if you're Jewish, make someone swear to you on a Bible app. Because that's a thing that happened in Friends with Benefits that really confused me. Because she makes a joke about looking Jewish while having a Bible app on her iPad. My advice is, if you suspect someone is a romantic rival to you, shout at them that they are a pumpkin until they go away. That's actually, I like that. I think you should try that out. Or sleep with your child's ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that's good dating advice too. Only if she has a small dog and is evil, <laughs> a.k.a. British. Never trust a foreigner. Never trust a foreigner. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. I bees. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. I Not as awesome as this ambiguously upbeat pop song that has nothing to do with the plot. They put in at the end to try to convince you that you had a great time at this shitty movie. <laughs>